0: Church community, Everybody good. Morning, church. Um, so we are in um, the final couple of weeks of this series, the summer series of parables of Jesus, and uh, I, I think it's been an, a fantastic series. It has been for me. I don't know about you, but sometimes you know when we read these stories that are familiar to us, especially in the life of Jesus, we tend to glaze over. We tend to say, "Yeah, I know that. I've, I've read it. You know, since I was a, a kid, I've." You know, went to Vacation Bible School, and they told me all these the stories, and so yeah, I learned all there is to know. And yet, we come and we understand, and we realize that we don't know as much as we think we do. And then so, there's always more to learn to to gain from the simplest the simplest passage in Scripture. And it's just sort of one of those things. that's just a great reminder. If you are here for the very first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. Um, you know, we, we love what God's doing here, amen. Uh, God's done a lot in three years. God, God's done a lot in the last nine months. Um, and God will continue to work and move, and the best is yet to come, amen. The best is yet to come. Um, and if you're around in a couple of weekends uh, for what we call Jesus' Life, which is our D now, um, you, I'm just going to tell you, if you're a regular attender, uh, we'll have three service times that morning, 8, 9, 30, and 11, and you better get here early uh, because it we will be swinging from the chandeliers, just, just going and tell you right now. Um, so it's going to be a fantastic weekend, amen, right? Leaders, college leaders, uh, host homes, if we've asked you to partic- participate and help, uh, we want to say thank you so much. This weekend could not happen without you, and so if you're interested at all, just a Shameless plug, if we haven't tapped you on the shoulder for something to help out with or to do, and you say, look, I think God is calling me to help out in some way, I don't really know what, but just come to me after the service or um, just, you know, let us know that, hey, I'd be willing to, to do something. I don't know what, but, and uh, we'll we'll um, put you to work. This is a fantastic weekend. The fruit of it, we've seen for years in, in, our, in our church family, in our community, and we just We want to see God continue to work and move. Amen. That's what we want. We want revival to happen. We want lives to be changed. So we're continuing in the series, the parables of Jesus. And as you probably know, Jesus' primary method for teaching was to tell stories um, that that run parallel. They're life stories. Uh, They normally weren't true stories. They were just fiction, but they run parallel to life problems and issues. And um, this is how he taught. Um, he did this for many reasons, but the primary reason is so that you and I could get the essence of the gospel, so that you and I could get it. You know, we're, you know, humans are, are you know, we're not real bright sometimes. You know, we need, we need people to, to, to break it down real simply for us. And there are some profound, complex truths in Scripture, especially what Jesus, you know, Jesus, when Jesus comes in, comes along and says, love your enemy, that was not something that anyone had ever heard before. In that culture, or in really in any ancient culture, it was an eye for an eye, baby. Like you know, you 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 do something, you get you you're getting something in return. Like you know, there was this. It was just a, It was a, It was barbaric, and there you know, obviously you know, war was rampant. And if you just decided you want to go to war with your neighbor, you just went to war with your neighbor. That's what you did. And I mean, not a whole lot's changed. <laughs> We're just a little bit more civil about it, aren't we? Crazy. Crazy, isn't it? The human heart is still the human heart, right? The Bible says the human heart is what? Desperately what? Wicked. Hope that messes with your theology a little bit. It's good. The human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know the depths of how bad it is? Right. Therefore, we need a savior. Amen. We need. We need. uh, We need someone to come and, and save us from ourselves, from the sin nature that we all have. So, Jesus. Broke things down, uh, tried to, and, and so that people could get it. This morning, we want to look at a parable that may or may not be familiar to you, but it's the parable of the, of the vineyard workers. Um, it's found in Matthew chapter 20. So turn there with me as you're turning. Uh, I want to set this up for you. Like so many of Jesus' parables, Jesus used the story to answer a question from his followers. Like, so there's a question that happens in Matthew 19 from Peter, Right? They just had an encounter with the rich young man, the rich young ruler. It's a it's pretty uh, familiar passage. Uh, some wealthy, um, high up in society young, young gentleman approaches Jesus and he says, what must, must I do to inherit inter- eternal life? And Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions. Give everything you have to the poor. And then come follow me. And at this, you know, the, the Notes version, at this the man sunk his head and, because he had a lot of stuff. It's one of the saddest encounters in all the Bible. He was at the edge of salvation. He was at the edge of redemption. And because of his stuff, because he had too much stuff, he had too many things uh, uh, clinging to his heart, he just could not give that up. He could not do what Jesus was asking him to do. So he walked away empty-handed. It's really one of the saddest encounters in all the Bible. And so the disciples are watching all this happen, and then Peter speaks up. At the end of the chapter, verse 27, and he asks the question. He says, look, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What will we get for being faithful to you? What will be our reward for being faithful? We've left everything. In so many words, Peter is saying, we're better than that dude. That, that guy He's, he's got it all. He seems to have it all, but and we have nothing but we've left everything. We're poor, we're hungry. We let, you, t- you asked us to leave our families. we did so. We did everything you've asked us to do. What will we have? And so Jesus tells a story to give his answer. All right. So this is found at the very beginning of Matthew 20. Turn there with me. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but this is what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you what is right. So they went. He went out again at noon and three. In the after, at three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, "'Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing?' Their answer, "'Because no one has hired us.'" Seems like a logical answer. "'He said to them, "'You also go and work in my vineyard.'" When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, "'Call the workers and pay them their wages.'" beginning with the last ones you hired. Beginning with the last ones you hired, not the the guys who've been out there 12 hours, but beginning with the ones you hired last and put them first. And then going on to the first ones you hired. The workers who were hired, about five, came and each received a denarius. So when those who came those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. So will talk about what a denarius is in a minute. You're probably wondering. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. The, those, these who you hired last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am, I, not being fair? Uh, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave, gave you. He says, I want to do this. It's my prerogative, right? I will give him what I want to give him. That's basically, what he's saying. Maybe not quite with that much attitude, Said, so don't I have the right to do with my money what I want? There's the attitude. Or are you envious because I am so generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. We've heard that a million times. So break down this, let's break down this parable real quick. The landowner goes out, the landowner is, is, is God in this sense, right? The landowner goes out, finds workers to work his land. First, he goes out really early in the morning, probably five or so, five in the morning, to hire some workers to start the workday, which in Jewish culture, the workday began at 6 a.m. The workday was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That was the general workday. Wow, 12 hours in the heat. And the landowner agrees to pay them a denarius, which is the Roman currency of the day, the standard of the day. It's like, that is generous pay for a day's work, a denarius. If, if you heard someone say, I'll pay you a denarius to, you know, to work in my yard all day, like, you would say, okay, sure, that's fair wage, fair wage. It was very fair for the, for the day. Then at about nine, he goes out and finds more workers. He sees folks standing around doing nothing. He says, hey, come on, you know, put you to work. I'll pay you what is right, what is fair. He goes back out at 12 12 noon and 3 p.m. and does the same thing. And then again at 5, he goes out and still finds more workers. He finds them standing around and hires them on the spot. So the owner went out and hired workers at 5 a.m., presumably, around 5, or even earlier, 9, 12, 3, and 5. It's interesting, though, that those last ones were only hired to work one hour. One hour. One hour. But then when the end of the day came, it was time to get paid, and we see what happens. They gathered them together, and they pay the ones that were hired last first. Now, would we ever see this happen in our culture? Would we ever see this happen? I mean, you're going to get what you deserve. If you work 12 hours, you're going to get paid more. If I'm the guys, how do you feel about this deal? If you're the people that work six to six and out in the hot sun all day, how would you feel? How do you feel about this deal? Not very good. They were ticked. I'd be ticked. Wouldn't you be ticked? Absolutely. Let's be real. Let's be real. I'd be demanding more money. It's unfair. It's unjust. I'll take you to court. Something, I mean, you know, like, Don't we get that way? Like, we're so up in arms. Humans care so much about justice. We care so much about fairness. And yet, God's idea of fairness is not our idea. idea. Are you with me? God's idea of justice is not our idea. Our idea of fairness and justice are mixed with flesh and sin and selfishness and conceit. And entitlement and comparison and all the things, right? This is what we're gonna to get to today in this passage. So they all got hired different times, a landowner pays them the same. How fair is that? But then the landowner's response is, Am I not being, un- am I being unfair? Right? Didn't you agree to work for this amount of money? Of course, they did. They just didn't know that the landowner would go and do the same for everyone they had worked more they should get more right that's just in our minds it's common sense you would never see that ever in our culture in today's day and age you'd have lawsuits all over the place people would be disgruntled they'd never we'd never get anything done it just wouldn't happen see this parable Jesus is dealing with the issue of justice In our minds, we assume the story is dealing with fairness, which is a distorted, minimized version of the larger biblical principle here. This parable is about God's justice and his mercy intertwined, right? God's a just God, and yet he's a merciful God, a generous God at the same time. Those two in our minds seem to contradict one another. But in God's economy, they are one. They're the same thing, and they're they're mixed. The essence of God's nature is his righteousness, right? His throne is his foundation. The foundation of his throne is righteousness, God's righteousness. God is just and holy and right and sinless and good and merciful and, and, and mighty in all he does, right? That's the foundation of God's throne. His grace, his mercy, his justice, they're all intertwined here. Now it's true that God is just and God will have justice because he's holy, he's a holy righteous God and who in the early books of the Old Testament initiated a covenant relationship with an unholy, unrighteous, sinful humanity right? God is a righteous, holy God that initiated a relationship with unholy, unrighteous, sinful people, me and you. He is a righteous judge, meaning God can judge whoever he chooses, however he chooses. And sometimes what God chooses to do in our lives, we perceive as unfair, meaning it appears not to benefit us. See, God isn't fair. God isn't fair. He's not fair. God isn't fair. And I want you to think about that for a second. Let's talk about the concept of fairness for a second. In our world, in our minds, fairness means getting what we think we deserve based on what? Merit. Based on what we have done. But really... Fairness is defined, defined in human terms means whatever benefits me. That's fairness to us. Fairness, and we have called it justice, we need justice. I want justice, right? And yes, the world needs justice, but the world needs God's justice, amen? The world doesn't need our human distorted version of what justice is, what we think justice is. Because we're going to get it wrong 99.9% of the time. What we mean is fairness. You get what you earn, and that's not God's way of doing things. Amen? Whatever benefits us. In most people's minds, it's only fair if it benefits us. The moment we are put at a disadvantage, we're yelling, that's unfair, aren't we? It's unfair. Many of you in here have been through things that made you cry out to God, question God, question your faith, even angry at God. I, I, I'm looking into the eyes of some of my, my dear friends I've known for years, and you have been through unreal circumstance. You have been through unreal heartache. You have been through things that almost no one else in the room knows. You've been through, th- through things that pushed you to the breaking point. You've been through things that made you question if God cares at all. Those feelings are certainly common and they're normal. Maybe you felt like God was absent or distant in your life. You're left with this feeling that God has been incredibly unfair to me. Those feelings are, 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 are common. Some of you here I know personally have gone through hard circumstances and, and somehow you come out the other side and you're sitting here among the body of believers, right? Which is a, a small miracle in itself. There have been things in my life, especially as a a Christian, and then even further as a a minister of the gospel, that I looked at and I said, How is this fair? How is this fair? God, I've given you everything. I laid aside a, 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 a career that would have made me three times the money that I'm making now. I laid aside everything. I consecrated my life to preaching the gospel, God. How is this fair? How is this fair? I'm asking the same question that Peter asked, in the same tone and with the same attitude. Have you ever felt this way? You ever felt this way? If you have, you're not alone. That's got to be how these workers in the parable felt. The workers that worked all day in the heat felt cheated. I would feel cheated too. There are two problems here that that deal with our, in in this parable that deal with our flesh and our humanness, okay, we can all fall into one of these two categories or both. The first problem we deal with when it comes to um, when it comes to this this issue of fairness is entitlement. It's entitlement. We live in the entitlement age, don't we? We give out a trophy for everybody. Participation trophies all around. Um. Well, football has started back up in, in the South and all over the country, and we're getting ready. We're getting real close to seeing some live football. Amen? Amen. Gotta yeah, get an amen for that. Some of you know, some of you may not know, that I coach middle school football. And we just started practicing about two, three weeks ago. And we're in the process of currently just seeing what we're working with, like what, what, the, new, what the new talent pool looks like. And on the first day, the talent pool is size. <laughs> it's like what they, these these sixth graders, and some of them are as tall as me, and we all, all the coaches are like, I, my eyes are bugging out their head, and we're like, we've never had this much size, you know? So you know, if 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 you if sixth grader, a parent, a sixth grader, a grandparent, a sixth grader that's playing Valdosta Middle School, be beware. I'm saying, beware. We coming, and so. We're kind of, we're kind of like, you know, seeing where everybody fits and what position they, because a kid will come up and say, we'll say, hey, you know, have you played football for Yeah, okay, What, what position you play and all that stuff? And then we divide them out based on what they tell us. And we find out real quick that some of them are lying. Or mama told them that they were a running back or a quarterback, and they're very obviously an offensive lineman. And we're like, uh, kid, you go over there with those bigger kids over there, right? For a second. And so we're like, you know, we're evaluating and we're seeing. Obviously, we're evaluating on size, we're uh, athletic skill, athletic level, level of you know, hustle, right? If they hustle or not, and most importantly, we're evaluating attitude. Attitude. It's the one thing we will not coach attitude. Every year we get a few of these kids that man they played pop Warner and little league ball and they come out there and their mom and their daddy have told them how great they are their whole life. I mean they're just kids, I get it. And that's on mom and dad right there. That's that's, their, that's a them problem. But we we we're evaluating attitude first and foremost cuz we can take a kid We've taken kids that were smaller that say, yes, sir, no, sir, and hustled and worked their tails off, and we've won championships with those kind of kids. Meanwhile, the kid that if he just decided in his head God created him to play football, he's over there pouting and whining on the sideline. He could dominate if he wanted to. It's all attitude. And so we, we try to weed out those problems. Because if you've got a kid with an attitude in your locker room and you just can't, sometimes we can work with the kid and we can, you know, we can put i I'm the coach, I don't really yell a whole lot. I mean, I'll yell, I'm not going to be ugly and I'm not yelling obscenities at all, but I might get upset at a kid, but I'm the coach that puts his arm around the kid and takes him to the side if he's pouting or having a moment. And I told the coach, I got this. I did it to a kid uh, the other day, Thursday, a kid, big, tall, good-looking kid at receiver, and, and that's what I coach, and, and, I, and he was like, he dropped a pass, and he went into the tank. Like, he was like, and he starts crying. He dropped a pass in the second week of practice, and I took the kid aside. I said, kid, do you know how many times I've dropped a pass, like, in games, like, when it mattered? Like, you, kid, you're going to be Okay. Don't tank. You got to be more mentally tough than this. The problem was the kid has been better than every other kid he's played against his whole life, and he's heard how good he is. And he's a good kid, but he has heard he's he's believed the hype that he it was entitled something, and he literally thought he was going to walk out of that field, and he was going to be a starter day one. As of right now, he's not a starter. It doesn't mean he can't get there, but it, but he, he's mentally, he's just not there yet. You follow me? This entitled thing, this is where we're at. And it, it goes way beyond, our, see, our kids are kind of like the picture of that, but it goes way beyond that. We get that way in life. We feel like, because we're Christians especially, we're owed happiness. We're owed something in this life. Let Fewer hard times, <laughs> fewer struggles than non-believers. Look. God, I've given my life to you. Why isn't life easy for me? It's unfair. Entitlements a problem. The second problem is when we, we start comparing our lives to the people around us. It's comparison. Comparison is the great killer of joy. Amen? You start looking around, start seeing what everybody has and what you don't have, especially on social media. Man, put that phone down when you start feeling that way. Because your enemy's using that. Comparison is the great killer of joy. Here's an earth-shattering truth for you. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you one thing. Now, if you're offended by that, or if that hurts a little bit, good. It ought to hurt. It hurt me. It ought to hurt. God doesn't owe you anything. He is the God of the universe. He, is, he was and is and will ever be before you got here and after you're gone. From the foundation of the world, God has been there. And God doesn't need us, but God wants us. God doesn't owe you anything, but listen to this. He gave you everything. He doesn't owe you anything, but he gave you everything. God can and will do whatever he pleases, amen? And we must get this truth down, let it sink into the depths of our soul. This is the posture of someone who knows they are completely and totally unworthy and undeserving of the mercy of God, and yet God has given it anyway. In Psalm 51, David shows us the heart of someone who understands the true relationship between us and Almighty God. And what we truly deserve and what we get instead. Fourth verse of Psalm 51, I love this. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You are right in whatever you choose to do, God you are right in your verdict. Whatever the verdict is, guilty or innocent, you are right in doing so. Does that challenge us this morning a little bit? Because yes, God is good. And yes, God loves us. And yes, Jesus came and died for us. But God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us a thing. He did not owe us the cross. We didn't deserve that. We did not and have not and will not earn that, and yet God gave it anyway. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but maybe there's one or two people that got that wrong in their heads who just feel like, man, life ought to be better for me because I'm a Christian. Not so, necessarily. The one thing you have is a hope, is a hope that goes beyond this life. The one thing you have is a hope that goes beyond the troubles of this life. That's the one thing we hold on to, we cling to. God is free to judge anyone he chooses, but God also is free to give grace to anyone he chooses. God is good in every way and he is kind in every way. God's also just. God has already done more for us than we could ever deserve. If God never did one more thing for you good in your life, he has already done enough. We like that cross up every Sunday for a reason. It It is why we gather. Without it, social club, whatever you want to call it, powerless, unable to save anyone, sermons, music, any of that. But that is salvation and redemption. And if that is the only thing that God ever did for you and for me, it's not, by the way. But if that's the only thing he ever did, we're good. We're good. See, Jesus taught his disciples to not see life through just what's happening in this life. To not look at the here and now and get so caught up in what's going on here and now, but there and then, meaning eternity. That's what matters most. You're going to get through whatever you're going through right now. You're going to get through it because there's a God who loves you and is for you and is with you. But don't think for one second God owes us anything and that it's unfair when God is working things out for your good just like he wants. And you might say, Justin, it's easy for you to say you don't know what I'm going through. True, but I've been through my stuff. I've been through enough to question God's goodness in my life. I've been through enough to say this is unfair, God. I've been through enough. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible as we get ready to wrap this up and go back into worship. It's found in Romans chapter five, Romans five. I could read the whole chapter because it's so good, I'm not going to. Romans chapter five, verse one, starting in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified, justified in justice, that, that, that same, same principle come from each other. Justified through faith, we've been made right with God by faith. That's what justification means. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us this is the gospel verse 6 you see at the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly me and you in case you were wondering very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good for, for though very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly die. But God, here's, here's the verse, memory verse right here, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, have we, have, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's justice and his mercy on display. Um, It puts life in perspective, doesn't it? A little bit. This passage. It's the gospel. God's justice and mercy uh, uh, wired together to to pull us out of sin, to pull us out of the pit of sin and death and set us right before a righteous, holy judge. God. Powerful stuff. And God's justice brought about our justification through Jesus Christ. We we were redeemed. we We were saved once and for all through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Once and for all. God doesn't owe us anything, but he gave us everything. God isn't fair. God is just. That's a very good thing. God isn't fair, and that's a good thing. Amen? God isn't fair, but that's a good thing. And in his justice and his mercy for the lost sinner, he sent Jesus to take on sin and death that was meant for us and appease the wrath of God. Yeah, there, there, there was wrath. And God is justified in his wrath. God can do whatever he wants. God doesn't owe us anything. And therefore established our righteousness through what Jesus did. Jesus paid for our righteousness, our right standing with God. So now we who trust in Christ are made right with God. Thank God for his perfect justice and mercy. Thank God that God doesn't give us what we have uh, earned, all right? Thank God, God doesn't put us on a merit system. because We're all, we're all <laughs> done, we're all done. I said this the other day, you know, uh, you know Billy Graham, uh, has led more people, has been responsible for more people coming to Christ personally than any human in history. He's preached to more people than any human that ever lived. Even more than Paul. He's not written about in Scripture, but he preached to millions and millions and millions when he was in his 60 years of 70 years of ministry before he went home to be with the Lord. And yet Billy Graham, standing before the pearly gates and asking to come in, you know, the old joke is, is that I better have a good answer when, when I meet St. Peter at the gate or he's not going to let me in. Man, that is terrible theology. I know it's funny, it's a joke, but it is not true. When you get to the gate, the only thing that's going to matter is if you put your trust in Jesus or not. Not how much money you, you gave the church. Not, not, all, not, the good, not the mission trips you went on. Not the prayers you prayed. Not, not band, not standing on stage and singing and playing. Not preaching not serving in the church, none of that's gonna matter. The only thing that's gonna matter and the only thing that's gonna, that has justified you to the end is Christ, is your trust in Christ. God isn't fair and that's a good thing. God doesn't owe us anything, but he gave us everything. I'm gonna call the band up real quick and we're gonna pray. The charge this morning is to live out the words of another famous verse, Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Some of you could quote this. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want you to bow your heads with me. We're gonna we're gonna return to worship here in a sec. As the band's coming up, I don't I want to I want to read you a, an extended section of Psalm fifty one. This is what Psalm 51 says. This is is the posture this morning for us. Close your eyes and I want you to listen to this. Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit Within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Father, thank you for your justice. God, it is something that's hard to comprehend, it's really difficult to grasp. Part of us thinks we deserve something and the other part of us knows we we could never deserve or earn what you have done. Father, there's so much clutter in our human hearts. There's so many things that that are vying for our attention, distorting the truth of your justice. God, you are right in what you do. You do not owe us anything. If we were to live our lives with that kind of mindset, That God, you owe me nothing, and yet you gave me everything. We would stop comparing ourselves to other people. We'd stop feeling like we were entitled a good life. The right kind of job. Or the right financial situation. Or the right health prognosis. And put our eyes on you, Jesus, and understand you author and perfecter of our faith you are the sustainer of our lives you are the one that loves us the most even when we've done nothing to earn anything you have done so it's about your grace but it's also about your mercy understanding that now we been made right with you, Father. I pray that as we end our time together, that we would run back to the cross, run back to the place we first met you, and establish a new a, a new mindset of how to live this life. God, if things go well with us, Jesus, it's you. If things don't go well, Jesus, it's you. We want to be completely satisfied with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. It's in your name we pray.